Our scripture reading comes from the first book of Kings, chapter 21, verses 1 through 21. Listen for the word of God. Later the following events took place. Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of King Ahab of Samaria. And Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard so that I may have it for a vegetable garden. Because it is near my house, I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you my ancestral inheritance. Ahab went home resentful and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you my ancestral inheritance. He lay down on his bed, turned away his face, and would not eat. His wife Jezebel came to him and said, Why are you so depressed that you will not eat? He said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth of Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else, if you prefer, I will give you another vineyard for it. But he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. His wife Jezebel said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Get up, eat some food, and be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. She sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who lived with Naboth in his city. She wrote in the letters, Proclaim a fast and seat Naboth at the head of the assembly. Seat two scoundrels opposite him and have them bring a charge against him, saying, You have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. The men of his city, the elders and the nobles who lived in the city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them, just as it was written in the letters that she had sent to them. They proclaimed a feast and seated Naboth at the head of the assembly. The two scoundrels came in and sat opposite him, and the scoundrels brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king, so they took him outside the city and stoned him to death. Then they sent Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned, he is dead. And soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Go, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth and Jezreelite which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. As soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab set out to go down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, to take possession of it. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, the Tishbite, saying, Go down to meet King Ahab of Israel, who rules in Samaria, He is now in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. 
you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? You shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, dogs will also lick up your blood. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? He answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. I will bring disaster on you. I will consume you and will cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free, in Israel. Reading. I'm assuming that the the scripture itself was somewhat self-explanatory, not leading a lot of, like, what really happened? If you missed it, King Ahab wants Naboth's vineyard. I want it. Naboth says, it's my ancestral lands. I don't want to sell it. Ahab goes home and starts pouting. He's a very mature man. Jezebel, his wife, if you run across Jezebel in the, in the Bible, she is not a nice woman. Jezebel says, why are you pouting? I can take care of this. She sends out, get everybody together. We're going to have a big feast. We'll get two scoundrels in. They'll slander the man. They'll take him out. They'll stone him. You get your vineyards. Don't, you know, don't worry. Be happy, basically. And it all takes place. And then and Elijah is told to go and tell King Ahab, all right, where blood was spilled, your blood's going to be spilled. Have a nice day. Okay, so that's basically the passage. Did you get that? Not very complicated. I'm assuming the overall tenor and the message should be somewhat clear. If not, we'll go over that briefly, but then I want to move on. What's that? Watch who you marry. This is the point of the passage. <laughs> That's exactly right. Be careful who you saddle yourself with for the rest of your life. No, that is actually not. That's a very good message. That's a side message. <clears throat> but you know, it, you, you see it today, don't you? When somebody you don't like does something and what you slander them. You see this in politics all the time. I and mean, someone's running. I don't know anybody who would want to run for president? I mean, why would you do this? I had, a, I had a clergy friend who said, anybody who actually wants to be president should automatically be disqualified. Because <laughs> they don't have the common sense. Because all they're going to do is the other side is just going to take shots at you. And they're going to say the worst things. And it doesn't matter whether they're true. And in politics, you often see this. It really, and often, the more untrue it is, the more life it has. Al gum sits on the aisles why because he knows he needs to make a quick escape because al secretly as soon as he leaves here he curses god and curses the president right i mean you say that in front of everybody and what do you think does he really does he really he doesn't do that okay al doesn't do that but that's all you have to say and then pretty soon well you know i was in church and the pastor said that al gum curses god and curses the president it must be true it was said, you know, 
And that's what we do to people. So there really isn't anything new, and what disgusts us today is the same thing that disgusted us before. But the part that I want to talk about today is because of Al. And I picked, up, I picked on Al because he sent me a couple weeks ago. He sent me, um, are you familiar with what's going on in North Carolina? North Carolina, for the first time since Reconstruction, has a Republican governor and Republicans in control of both parts of legislature, and so they're able to do a lot of things that they weren't able to do before, and, and North Carolina has been a fairly moderate state, and so it's kind of tipping one way, and, and the liberals are, are losing their minds, okay? They, they absolutely are. And there have been um, professors at Duke University in both the seminary and the religion that have actually been arrested because they're protesting things like the abortion laws and they're getting rid of some of the health insurance for people who have lost their work. Anyway, they're called Moral Mondays. That's the point here. They're called Moral Mondays. And the question is, what's the role of religion in government? Does the church have something to say about what happens in politics? That's the question, ultimately, I think the scripture has for us, because Elijah comes up and says, you're the king, but that doesn't mean you can do anything you want. And the religious groups that are, that are conservative in North Carolina have responded to Moral Mondays, and they've said the pastors who are involved in Moral Mondays misread the scriptures. They misread the scriptures on things that are the responsibilities of individuals and they're saying that those are actually the responsibilities of governments. And that is a misreading of scripture. And there's actually a, a videotape, part of what Al sent me, that I condensed to two minutes, but it's this man and he talks very slow and I, and I think I'll just do it. But what he says is, in a sense, the word individual has no place in Scripture. That is a misreading of Scripture. Scripture is not about the individual. It's about the society. And that's what he has to say. But the question, of, and he brings up slavery as an example. And we're gonna, so we're going to back into this topic through the topic of slavery, because I found it to be an interesting conversation. How many of you know the story of John Newton, who was the, the captain of the boat who, who brought slaves, and he wrote Amazing Grace? Okay. How many of you know the story of John Newton, and what is that story? Mary cannot answer this, because she saw Amazing Grace, the movie. If you haven't seen the movie Amazing Grace, you should see it. But what do we, what, what's the urban legend about what John Newton did? See, it's a call from God saying, pay attention. What did John Newton do? This is really a spectacular, sorry? He brought slaves over. He brought slaves. He was a captain of a slave. He was a slave trader, okay? And he has an epiphany. Let me help you. Let me start this. He has an epiphany during one of his voyages where what he's doing is wrong. Right? That slavery is somehow wrong. And he writes, Amazing grace, how sweet a sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. 
What happens next? What have you heard? Yeah. He goes into the monastery. Okay. What I had always heard, and how many of you had heard this? That he actually has this awakening and he turns his boat around, right? Goes back to Africa and releases the slaves. How many of you heard that part of the story? No one? No one is as ignorant as me? Oh, good. Two people are as ignorant as I am. I mean, I believe the story. I thought he had this conversion. He has this conversion. He turns the ship around. He goes back to Africa. He releases the slaves. And, you know, then he goes into the monastery, becomes a priest. But that's not what actually happens. That ship just keeps on going. And he delivers the slaves. And he goes into the monastery. But he's a businessman. And he continues to invest in boats that carry slaves. Hmm? Yeah. Why? Because it's good business. And what the government does with slavery is not the province of the religious life. So what he does is he goes and he lives this monastic life as a priest. And his whole life is spent basically saying... Religion is about personal piety between you and God. And his friend keeps going up to him and saying, you need to get involved with this trying to get slavery outlawed in Parliament. Religion and politics. Does what we believe cause us to become involved in politics, in government? Elijah says, yeah. That's what Elijah does. When he's talking to the king, he's getting involved in government. Is it the case? And I'm looking for a response here. We can have a dialogue. I mean, this is the beginning of a dialogue. Okay, we got one hell yeah. Anyone else? Anyone hell no? Anyone want to take that carrot? Want to die on this cross? It's an interesting thing. I mean... Is it just personal responsibility? Because back in ancient Israel, if you were poor, Nick, and you went to a field, could you or could you not glean from the last two rows? I'm helping you out here. It's in the scriptures. When you plan a field, you are not allowed to harvest your own the last two rows of according to scripture you're not allowed to harvest the last two rows so that those who can't take care of themselves have something to eat what do we do with fields now well we put fences around them we put no trespassing signs do we say please glean only from the last two rows how many signs of that have you seen not so many Ancient Israel can say, you could make an argument back then that, well, yeah, it was, it's personal responsibility, but it's that way because it's built into the way the society worked. If you were poor, you could pick those last two rows. You could get some food. If you went to someone's house on the Sabbath, what is your responsibility to do? 
to take care of them, to bring them in. It's a blessing when somebody comes to your house on the Sabbath to feed them, to take care of them, maybe even to put them up for the night. Hopefully it's only one night, right? But, you know, at least on the Sabbath, that's your responsibility, and that is a blessing to you. How many of you want people to show up on your doorstep on the Sabbath asking for food and a night's lot? Nobody does here, right? So we say, okay, how, well, how do we take care of that? Well, you're going to have to pay for that somehow, well, the churches don't have the money. Trust me, the churches don't have the collective wherewithal. It just, you know, it'd be great if we did. If you guys gave a whole lot more and there's a lot more people here, we could do that. But, you know, guess what? We don't have the money to do that. So as a society, we've said, okay, we need to take care of folks. When the New Deal came along, it was very controversial. Social Security was very controversial. And what ends up happening... I know, I mean, this is really, you know, religion and politics, you don't, you know, you're not supposed to talk about either one of them, and I'm talking about both simultaneously. I mean, Mary, we're going to be moving in about three weeks. <laughs> Trustees are meeting immediately following to call a new search. But what we do is we say, well, that policy, which I think kind of is going to help somebody, that's a Republican policy, or that's a Democratic policy, and I can't, the minute I support it, then I'm being anti-Democratic, or I'm being anti-Republican. That's how we think, right? Because one party's for it, and if one party's for it, the other party's what? Going to be against it because bipartisanship is dead, unfortunately. And then we start talking as Republicans and Democrats when we're supposed to be talking how? As human beings and as followers of who? God, Christ, the big cross up on the, if you're confused what that means, yeah, that's what it means. We are followers of Christ, and so when we think about these things, we think about them first as Christians. I worked at, again, I'm picking on you a lot today. I haven't picked on you in so long, it hurts me when I, when I go that far. I worked at a, at a Jewish summer camp for seven summers. And one of the interesting things during the, on Saturdays, you know, Shabbat, you can't run the motors, you can't do, you know, all of that good stuff, so I couldn't drive the boat, what, what can I do? And it, the question was, are you a Jewish American, or are you an American Jew? In other words, is Judaism more important than being an American, or is an American more important than being a Jew? Is, how important is your Judaism? They have whole discussions on that. How many of you have heard the discussion in a Christian church, are you a Christian American or an American Christian? Anybody have that conversation in a church? No. We don't have to have the conversation because we are the dominant religion. Judaism, you have to have the conversation. Are we American Christians, which means that American is the adjective and Christian is the noun, or are we Christian Americans? You know, which is more important to us? And that's the question that this asks of us, this question of Elijah going up to Ahab saying, you can't do this stuff. Just because you like the guitar, you can't say, let's take him out and have a good stoning. <laughs> I really like the guitar and, and, and the electronics. We could use this electronics, Phil, right? I like some good stonings, I do. Do we do this? 
What is our place? Moral, I love the idea of Moral Mondays because it's forcing, hopefully, and hopefully this gains force, but it's forcing religious communities to say, what does it mean to say I'm a Christian? Are we going to go back to Newton who says, I thought that, I realized that in God's eyes there is no difference between being a slave, being a black man, and a white man. There is no difference in God's eyes, and I realized that the slave trade is fundamentally wrong, but as a businessman, I'm going to invest in it. And as a religious man, I'm going to withdraw to the sideline and say, that stuff is not the province of religion. That's the question that we face from this passage in our world today. Does the church, as a church, not as a Republican, not as a Democrat, but as the church, as the body of Christ, are there positions, are there positions that we would hold as a church? One would hope so. My first church at Fox Island, um, the, the first President Bush, second President Bush, had been elected and they had this huge tax cut and then the next go around they had another big for the, and they were cutting back all of the, the Section 8 which is housing for people who, who need home, you know, who are homeless and who, you know, who need housing, basic, your basic fundamental. And they were cutting all of these safety nets and they were giving the, the, the top 1%, you know, more tax cuts. And I just said, if you can believe that Jesus is more concerned with the comfort of the wealthy than the, wealth, than the welfare of you know, the bottom, then you can support this. And people were ticked because it was politics. It's like, it's Jesus. You know? And as a pastor, I have to be able to say that and it's not because of one party or another, but I follow the guy who was willing to hang on a cross. You know, and if you think getting up for church at 10 o'clock is hard, try rising from the dead. You know? One's more difficult than the other. What does our faith make claim of us? What difference does it make? Do we speak truth to power? Is that our place? Or is our place to be John Newton? And at the end of John Newton's life, he wrote his manifesto. And he said, preach this to the world. I'm not sure Amazing Grace would be the song it was today if at the end of his life he hadn't written the manifesto and came full circle. The song would be the same, but what underlay it wouldn't. I love Moral Mondays. Thank you for sending me the link, by the way, Al. Because it's forcing the churches to take a stand on what it means to follow Jesus. And asking that question and answering that question is a good thing. The reason for the separation of church and state and religion and politics 
was not so that it would have a bad influence on politics. It was afraid that government would have a bad influence on the church. You know, I do believe we have a voice. I do believe we have a voice. I believe we must have a voice. Amen.